Well, hello there and welcome to the latest edition of DFDX Weekly. It is our weekly show where we tackle the latest tech and gaming news. Joining me this week, Will Judd. Hello. Hello. Good to be here. <laughs> it is. It is good to be here. Uh, is it good to be here, Alex Retalia? Uh, no, no. It's a Friday. This is true. We're having to uh, record this one a little bit later than usual. So, yes energies are low but we're going to power through this right mm -hmm. we got it i've got some tea so anything's possible <laughs> let's start with our first news topic so i've got the feeling this one is probably a bit of a nothing burger but turns out that xbox has now discontinued xbox one uh, there is no longer production of either of the xbox one units but sony is powering ahead continuing to produce playstation 4 and um, the kind of spin that's been put on it in the news is that um, Sony is attempting to tackle console shortages on PlayStation 5 by making more PlayStation 4s. I'm not sure I buy into that. I don't know what your thoughts about this, Alex. I actually don't think that's the case at all. <laughs> um, because the, what, what is wrong with a company producing more of an older console? It doesn't it just means people who would like that older console can get it, right? I don't <laughs> see how this has... I guess the, the slight... If you were to think about it in terms of cross-gen and as like strategizing, maybe it means Sony's fine with a couple more games coming out cross-gen if they're willing to sell more consoles. But even then, that's a reach. Um, so I actually don't find any problem with this at all. I think there's possibly two topics uh, that are being sort of merged together here, which is the continuation of cross-gen games and the continuation of PlayStation 4. Now, if we go back and look at, um, you know, you could buy a PlayStation 2 for years after PS3 came out. And PS3, uh, I don't think that was discontinued until 2017, PS4 coming out like four years earlier. I think what's possibly um, causing some uh, controversy here is the fact that Xbox One has been discontinued. And obviously, in terms of getting a cheaper console out there, they've got the Series S, which um, I think I'd take over either of the Xbox One machines. Uh, Will, what's your take on this? I mean, it's, yeah, I think it's pretty much not really a big story. Um, if you have the capacity to make more PS4s, then why wouldn't you, right? I think there's already so many of them out in the world that I don't think continuing to make them will shift the balance of power towards the PS4 and away from the PS5 in the minds of developers to any significant extent. And, you know, ultimately, people are still playing, you know, Grand Theft Auto Online and Red Dead Redemption and stuff like that. You know, those games still run fine on that console, so... Well, typically, I think in prior generations, uh, it was the case that those machines often ended up um, in different markets. You know, for example, uh, Brazil, I think, is usually cited as a market where consoles traditionally turned up late. It's not the case with Xbox, though, because I think they've actually got a production plant there now. But um, yeah, I mean, this is basically fundamentally, I think, a situation whereby, you know, they can still make money making PlayStation 4. Maybe there is an issue with shortages on PlayStation 5, but they've sold a lot of them in one year. So I don't know. I think the issue is whether it's going to continue cross-gen. And I think, unfortunately, because of the silicon shortages, well, um, cross-gen has kind of extended anyway. You know, <laughs> there's 120-odd million PlayStation 4s out there that are not going away. And if people can't buy uh, the, the, the subsequent unit, the PlayStation 5, then, you know, cross-gen will continue. And um, that is slightly frustrating. But traditionally, 
PlayStations continued to be sold, even when the successors came out. They just ended up uh, being bought by a different um, category of gamer, and I've got no real issue with that. I suspect that um, the Series S situation makes the business case for discontinuing uh, Xbox One um, a lot more profound. But um, yeah, interesting stuff overall. But yeah, I think possibly it's been blown a little bit out of proportion because historically PlayStations have continued. Uh, anything else to add to this one? Uh, I suspect there's going to be a lot of debunking happening in this news roundup mm. based on the lineup. This is a debunking video. Yeah, debunking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, I've got nothing to add to this, so I don't know. Let's yeah. move on. Let's... This could be a really fast DF Direct, right? <laughs> <laughs> DF Direct speedrun, let's do it. DF Direct yeah. speedrun, absolutely. <laughs> okay, next topic. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I, I honestly already. don't know where to begin with. Well, I do know where to begin okay. with this one. And um, essentially, uh, the tail end of last year, when we were kind of packing up to, to go on holiday, Final Fantasy VII Remake came out on PC. And um, it was, and let's be generous, a very disappointing release. Uh, tremendous lack of um, scalability and options. Um some pretty horrific performance issues in terms of um, stutter. Uh, shader compilation is the is the main sort of um, potential issue there. And um, well, a patch has appeared. And um, talk us through what this patch is supposed to do, right, Alex? Because well, it's it's kind of bizarre. Again, this another bizarre use. Yeah. <laughs> Patch notes are a bit cryptic, but uh, the big thing that is listed in there is uh, kind of optimizations or smoothening of performance uh, over FPS of 90. Uh, the, I immediately after the patch released, uh, saw a number of reports on Twitter uh, linking to news articles. I think one was from DSO Gaming, if I'm not mistaken, um, about uh, the uh, essentially getting rid of dynamic resolution scaling in the game. And Rich and I did some tests about this um, just to make sure and see what was going on. Uh, my, my testing was that using an RTX 2070 Super targeting 4K60, uh, which it cannot do at native resolution, by the way, definitely cannot, um, that it was actually trying to hit 60 FPS and there was obvious dynamic resolution scaling going on. Doing that same test though at 120 FPS uh, did not seem to engage dynamic resolution scaling uh, and the image seemed to be completely stable in terms of visual quality, did definitely not drop down to something like 720p, which would be really obvious. Uh, so as far as I can tell, this patch really only did about one big thing, and that is get rid of dynamic resolution scaling above presumably 90 FPS. This is not good though. Let's be completely honest, because all the other issues in the, in the game still exist, essentially that Oliver talked about in his video at length when the game came out. And here with this, they're, they're kind of misinterpreting what the audience wants. And this happens sometimes uh, when developers interface with audiences and they cannot necessarily always articulate. Audiences can't always articulate in one you know, unified way and say what they actually want to be changed in a patch. And this feels like a misinterpretation because dynamic resolution scaling is always advantageous as an option. And if you're taking it away kind of arbitrarily just because someone said 
wants to target 120 FPS or 90 FPS, well, that's not very good. Uh, I'm presuming you can probably still mod this in uh, via changing INI files and things like that, but they're really, the, they should have changed it by having a separate option for dynamic resolution scaling, uh, and then just a different option altogether to limit your FPS to what you desire. Uh, they didn't do that, obviously, and I have no idea what they were thinking <laughs> when they changed it. Yes, it's it's all very odd. And um, I mean, obviously, it was the end of the year that we first looked at the game, and um, you highlighted some issues, and then um, Oliver kind of uh, went in with his analysis, came up with very similar conclusions. I mean, why not get some more extra data? So um, today I did update the game, and um, I loaded it, and it basically <laughs> the first thing it did was to to basically crash out and say, "You've not got the latest driver." So oh, okay, no. fair enough. I updated to the latest driver, and um, well, uh, got some performance analysis here. I started at 4K 60, RTX 3080, 10900K. 60 frames per second V-Sync, and man, um, I can kind of see some of the issues that you saw um, at launch, Alex. It's just kind of just dropping frames all over the place, and it's really not a good experience. Now, bearing in mind that at 60 frames per second, the dynamic resolution scaler should be active, right? Should be active. We shouldn't be seeing this. So this is bizarre. But, you know, let's give the game some benefit of the doubt and suggest, right, okay, um, I'm just aiming for a too high resolution. Doesn't make sense, bearing in mind uh, performance elsewhere. But uh, the next thing I did was just to um, go back and restart the game from scratch at 1080p with the 3080. Is max settings, but <laughs> seems that the only difference between max settings and console settings is LOD draw distance on characters, uh, which is bizarre. Um, but yes, and... Um, I'd say the stutter was reduced, but it's still there. And there's sort of pockets of really, well, it's poor performance. Look, look, I mean, look at this. This is RTX 3080 running this game and it can't sustain 1080p at 60 frames per second. This isn't good, right? Now, it's going to take time to fix this. And, you know, obviously uh, the game came out just before the holiday uh, break. So, you know, we can presume that the developers went on vacation possibly. And um, I, I think actually addressing the issues like this, I mean, which are clearly profound, is gonna take time, right? But at the same time, um, I, I still have no idea how it ships like this in the first place, you know, how anybody could put a seal of quality on this and say, yep, this is good to go, especially when there's this gigantic price premium that's been attached to it. I'm gonna be honest, it's, Squ it's Square Enix. Um... They, they've released really troublesome Final Fantasy games on PC in the past. So this is almost uh, bread and butter for their Final Fantasy series on PC, unfortunately. Uh, Final Fantasy XV was good, but that's really the exception to the rule here. I mean, that was a really forward-looking game. I think Oliver noted that in his uh, analysis where, you know, it had all of these forward-looking features. It had, you know, first-gen DLSS, for example. Um, it really pushed the envelope in terms of, uh, you know, stuff like, foliage and whatnot. It really tried to attempt to improve upon the uh, the console experience. But, well, for whatever reason, uh, the same courtesy was not extended to Final Fantasy VII Remake. And it's still, I just can't recommend it. I mean, hopefully 
the patch is just the first of many. But I was hoping to see um, uh, some positive change here. Uh, maybe I was reading too much into... Uh, I mean, the patch notes are... <laughs> they're, they're, they're minimal, to say the least. Sub they are very minimal. <laughs> subtitles now default to English, number one. Okay. The resolution is now stabilized for frame rates of 90 and above. Mm -hmm. I mean, here's the thing, Alex. Why not just put a DRS on off uh, option in that just that's the obvious solution right if people don't like DRS fair enough make it an option something that this particular port has is seriously bereft of but it was the final point you know various <laughs> various other issues have been rectified <laughs> which could mean anything uh, right because there are the the, the issues uh a legion. But are unfortunately, many. <laughs> I don't even know. Those are my least favorite uh, patch notes. Various issues and optimizations. It's like, what does that even mean? Yeah, I mean, you know, please at least tell us what the issues are that have been rectified. I mean, pretty bizarre stuff. So you've kind of been the outsider looking in on this debacle, right, Will? Yeah, absolutely. I like I haven't played Final Fantasy VII for many, many years, and I was kind of thinking that maybe this would be the time. You know, like it's on PC, could have a good port, maybe. Um, but yeah, it looks like I'm gonna have to wait a little bit longer. Let's move on to the next news topic. Yeah, this one is troublesome. Um, last week we talked about issues with GPU availability and uh, the fact that prices remain so high in a world where um, consoles prices still have availability issues, but the prices at least seem to be stabilizing, even in the scalper market. Um, this week, we saw the release of the GeForce RTX 3080, a 12 gig model. Um, it has numerous uh, spec tweaks over the 10 gig version, over and above the memory. There's additional CUDA cores, power budget has gone up to 350 watts. Um, and from what I can see from the very limited reviews out there, it looks like you're looking at performance between a 3080 and a 3080 Ti. So, but it's it's vanishingly small. <laughs> I think is the is the takeaway there. And um, for whatever reason, first of all, availability was very very difficult. Secondly, Nvidia didn't release the driver to actually test the card until launch day. And thirdly. Um, the prices, even from the AIBs, the add-in board manufacturers, were uh, like really, really high. I think I thought, I think I saw seventeen hundred euros for for one. So essentially, you've got a, a card that's slightly less powerful than a thirty eighty Ti being sold for in excess of thirty ninety money. Will, thoughts? It's just such a mess at the moment, isn't it? Because there was already such a small difference between the 3080 and the 3090. And then the 3080 Ti came out to, you know, split, split that down the middle. Yeah. <laughs> and now we've got a, another card, which is, again, infinitesimally better than, you know, its predecessor. But because it's a new card, now AIBs can say, oh, actually, this is an entirely new model. We can price it however we like. There's no guidance from NVIDIA about how much it should cost. So, you know, they're saying, well, you know, we can easily get this much for it. So that's how much it costs. And unfortunately, until availability improves, I think this is going to be the sort of thing that we just continue to see. So, yeah, there was a bit of a negative reaction to this hardware unboxed. And I think possibly Gamers Nexus simply didn't review it. Um, 
simply because, well, it's it just doesn't really work as a product, I don't think. I think, you know, fundamentally, if you want a 3080 with 12 gigs of memory, there should be a price premium, but not a thousand euros. <laughs> Two gigabytes <laughs> over, and, over and a MSRP. bit more performance. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's, that's sort of problematic, really. If your 3080 is actually more expensive than a 3080 Ti, I mean, all prices are relative at the moment, right? This is what's causing the mess. And there was no Founders Edition card for this, which meant that the added board manufacturers could essentially set their own MSRPs. They could strap on these colossal coolers, which seem to attract a, a price premium. And um, and that's the sort of end result when combined with lack of availability. Um, I'm kind of a bit sort of um, curious as to why the top end um, RTX cards based on the GA102 are actually being segmented to the degree that they are. Because, you know, there's like what, uh, less than 15% difference between a 3080 and a 3090. And that's that segmentation is enough, right? So I mean, possibly a thirty eighty Ti that's like a thirty ninety, but with less memory that costs less. That kind of made sense, but uh, further segmenting GA one hundred two products, I don't really understand it. Got anything to add to that, Alex? Yeah, I'm just reminded of like the period around like two thousand three, two thousand four. There was stupid amount of segmentation in the upper end of like Radeon and uh, GTX cards at that time too. And no one knew what they were buying usually uh, back then. Now there's a bit more transparency, but the problem is the availability is completely uh, trashed. Uh, here, I actually, the one thing that I that disturbs me about this, other than the fact that the card feels really uh, pointless in light of the 3080 Ti existing, is that there's no reviews uh, sent out, no review copies of this GPU sent out and the driver situation. I think there were boards sent out, um, but there was no there was no driver. Um, but yeah, bearing in mind it's the AIBs that are fully in command of the 30. Oh, that's why. Yeah. That's why the AIBs. Yeah, there's no oh, Founders I'm... Edition card, and typically we uh, review uh, the Founders Editions uh, or the reference designs, and there wasn't a reference design for this. But um, I think the trend, from my perspective, that's slightly concerning is that um, you know they're seeing that GPUs are going for these really incredible prices, and maybe if they can get a small amount of product out there they can kind of like charge more than they usually would and because they know that the price, that the product will sell i'm sure from you know the aib uh perspective you know they also can't get as many gpu dies as they'd want right so you know they're probably also hurting a little bit from this maybe not as much as consumers but you know they're still going to have a, much less than they would ideally have and therefore, you know, they want to maximize the amount of money they can sell each one for. So this move kind of helps them. But yeah, it doesn't really help consumers, unfortunately. Ultimately, we don't know the cost of the dies from uh, NVIDIA either. Um, so it's kind of kind of a lot of unknowns out there. But yeah, we're seeing situations now like, uh, was it the 6500? Was it 6500 or 6500 XT where AMD announced it was a $199 card? And then <laughs> I think the next day, I mean, this is kind of bizarre. Uh, Asus revealed a very unimpressive looking version of the product, which was like 300 euros in France. Um, this is, this is, that's potentially even more worrying, right? Because that's a, a supposed to be a mainstream product. And um, there's lots of talk about the specs uh, deli uh, potentially delivering performance similar to an RX 480 or an RX 580. 
And well, you know, that kind of performance for 300 euros isn't kind of nuts. No, you really want to buy the old card at that point, actually, other than the feature set being better, of course, with RDNA 2, but you're limited to four gigabytes of VRAM, I'm pretty sure. So that's a huge hindrance in scaling. And the fact that there's no, you know, uh, hardware accelerated, you know, encode, decode on that card as well. That's correct. Yeah. For, no 4K encode, decode. I think there was a lack of AV1 decode as well. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. I mean, that's actually one, a, a pretty good reason to get one of these uh, lower spec cards um, if you're more orientated towards the desktop or medium playback, right? Because you do actually usually get the full media block and uh, that opens up the, you know, the potential to run media. Um, using the latest formats, but that isn't the case with the um, uh, with the 6500 XT, which is problematic. Now, I'm hoping, obviously, that things will improve. The next big launch is going to be the RTX 3050, uh, which potentially could be a pretty good card, potentially the 1080p card that we've been crying out for for months now. But it is going to come down to availability. I saw a report today on Notebook Check saying that NVIDIA have apparently been stockpiling them and it's going to be a huge launch. But I guess we'll need to wait and see. Uh, first of all, to see whether the availability is there. And secondly, um, whether the performance is there. But uh, fingers crossed, right? Okay, um, let's talk about our final news story for the week. It's been a very slow week, you might have gathered. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, there's been a huge legal uh, wrangle between Apple and um, Epic, and I think Google have been involved as well, whereby um, Epic wanted to essentially um, offer alternative ways to buy in-game coins, and uh, neither Google nor Apple were very happy with that resulted with the, uh, in the game being withdrawn from um, the iOS App Store. And um, you can now actually play it on an iOS device thanks to GeForce Now. So what's happened here is essentially you, there's still no native application. However, you can stream the game using GeForce Now and uh, NVIDIA and Epic have added touch screen controls. So uh, essentially it's mimicking the functionality of the app. Um, <laughs> Will, what do you make of this? Um, the hot yeah. seat, <laughs> this is, I mean, from a techno te technological point of view, this is pretty cool. Like the fact that, you know, they were willing to kind of circumvent it to this degree that they said, you know, this, this app, which is normally just, you know, intended, I guess, more for desktop streaming is now going to be, you know, something that will let iPhone users access this game that they otherwise couldn't. Like it's a very clever corporate agreement that's allowed this to happen. And, you know, if I guess the, all the iPhone and iPad users out there that really want to play Fortnite, like this is really awesome, right? But there are drawbacks um, specifically in terms of input lag. But um, what you do get, I guess, is the full PC version of the game, which is a massive graphical upgrade over the, uh, over the iOS and Android versions. Uh, the question is whether you're actually going to be competitive in it with the additional lag. Uh, but uh, interesting stuff. Is there a 120 hertz option for this? Because the um, I guess the recent iPhones and iPads do support higher refresh rates, right? Yes. That'd be awesome, think, actually. Um, well, GeForce Now, if you've got the RTX 3080 tier, does support 1440p streaming up to 120 hertz. Now, whether that actually extends to the iOS, I think it's done via the browser, possibly, 
Um, whether it extends to that, I do not know, but it's potentially doable. And um, yeah, and in terms of the, I mean, part of our content discussion is going to kind of segue into this one because um, the reason Tom isn't here today is uh, because he's uh, still working on this massive cloud gaming face-off that we're doing, which essentially pits the RTX 3080 tier GeForce Now against uh, xCloud and Stadia in titles where they can be compared. And I've got to admit that um, I'm really impressed with some of the latency metrics that have been coming in. We've got Destiny 2 running actually on par or better latency wise than the same game running on Xbox Series X, which is kind of that's nuts. Kind yeah, of that's astonishing. <laughs> that's really oh my. And um, just generally, I mean, I did have a, a quick go on it and um, I found it to be easily the best cloud streaming system. Um, I, I've not played, I've got a preface that by saying I've not played uh, Shadow recently, which is essentially a PC in the cloud. I've not played that. Um, a lot of people really rate it highly, but certainly up against xCloud and Stadia, it's a cut above. And you are getting uh, the lion's share of RTX 3080 performance. And of course, you have access to 3080s ray tracing and um, DLSS technologies. So yeah, that's that's a really compelling uh, sort of uh, feature set, I think. Now, obviously, you've got to pay for it, <laughs> but I think the latency benefits should scale down to the non-payment tiers uh, on GeForce Now. So yeah, I'm going to be interested to see what the reaction is to that. But I think just as a kind of corporate arrangement to work around <laughs> this kind of massive legal farrago, uh, I thought it's quite an inventive move, and uh, I'm going to be interested also to see whether GeForce Now server availability is going to be in, impacted by this. Uh, but certainly because it is the PC version of the game, then basically Epic can get their feedbacks revenue from wherever they want. So Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fascinating stuff. Genius. Um, but yes, look out for the GeForce RTX 3080 video because, um, yeah, some really interesting results in there. And it's the full gamut, right? We've got comparisons against the desktop 3080 card at 1440p and 4K. Uh, I helped out Tom with that. We've got latency measurements um, at 60 and 120 hertz. Uh, the full uh, nine yards there. So look out for that. And I think that's it. That's all we've really got to say about the news for this week. So let's move on to some uh, content discussion or continuing the content discussion even. Well, Will, <laughs> on the docket hey, Will. here, we've got Will's Weird Tech. Um, article went up on Eurogamer <laughs> this week. You do like to sort of collect the sort of bizarre devices that are out there and put them through their paces, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, it's a lot of fun testing graphics cards and keyboards and all that kind of stuff, but... You know, I think there should also be room for the weird and wonderful stuff that exists in the world. And uh, yeah, so this column is kind of to document my my travels there. And yeah, this 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 week was really a love letter to wheels for my computer. Like, <laughs> sorry, hold on, wait a second. Wheels, wheels for your computer. So you want to move your PC about, basically, right? Yeah, exactly. So my uh, office setup, I have kind of. My work area is kind of facing the windows, 
and then I have a kind of gaming zone on the other side. And often I'll have, you know, a number of monitors set up on each location because I often have some monitors in to test. And previously, if I wanted to actually use my good gaming computer that has the only RTX graphics card that I can, you know, have, I have to unplug everything, pick it up, move it over, and then replug everything. And it's an absolute nightmare because I chose a Corsair 5000 something case and it's ridiculous it's it's massive <laughs> it's made of glass and yeah. it takes an absolute age to to lug it over there and i was i was really feeling it in my back after i'd made that that transition just across the room let alone to anywhere else in the house so yeah i got some wheels um i went to ikea actually and they have this kind of you know, cooperation with asus and yeah, part of that is they have wheels that are kind of attached to like a little platform. And then there's a lip on either side so that your PC slots in in the middle. And yeah, it's been an absolute game changer because now I still have to unplug and replug everything, but I can at least unplug everything and then just push the computer to the other side of the room and then plug it into the peripherals there. And I don't have to strain my back doing it. It's good stuff. So, you know, millennia ago, um, mankind invented the wheel <laughs> and to, to this day, to this day, it's continuing to yield benefits that we just never anticipated. Unending. Yeah, absolutely. And I was really surprised, actually. There was a lot of people in the comments to this article that said, "Oh yeah, I've got wheels on my PC too." And I was thinking, "Where are all these people? I'd never heard of them." Let me just say, I have wheels on my PC. Actually, I have a half nine three two. It's a decade old case at this point. I've been using it switched builds so many times at this point. Um, but it came in the uh, back then in the you know the large when they ship these huge cases um, that computer cases are in. There was a tiny little box with wheels in it. And I was just like, actually, this makes quite a bit of sense. And they're removable. They even have little um, brakes on them, so you can station make it oh, stationary. That's good. Yes, I don't think that is very good. Brakes. Yeah, <laughs> wait, very wait, cool wait. stuff. You're, this is where we are. You've got brakes on your case. <laughs> my my computer wheels have brakes. <laughs> is this like for um, you know, in case you you want an incline or something? <laughs> yes, you don't want it. <laughs> the oh, idea is, geez. yeah. I, I suspect this is uh, somewhat over-engineered, but I, I it is a little bit over-engineered. Yeah. You know, I appreciate the fact mm -hmm. that uh, millennia-old technology is being repurposed uh, into the PC era, and obviously, you're happy with it. Definitely, yeah. very. Happy. Yeah. We're, so, we're both thrilled, apparently. Anything else in your weird <laughs> tech lineup that we should be aware of? So, I got this. Oh, you can kind of see the screen. This is a Game Kitty Mini, I think. Basically, it's like a tiny Game Boy, but it's kind of made of metal, and you can play uh, Game Boy games on it, or Game Boy Advance games, or Super Nintendo games, and it's basically like a tiny computer that runs Linux, and that's a bit weird in terms of like a UI perspective. Um, you know, you sometimes have to go into like a very Linuxy looking you know, file directory manager to copy your files across. And you have to remember that everything is in like slash MNT slash something else. So that was fun. But it actually comes preloaded with like crisis, basically every game for every system it supports. So that seems a bit dubious um, legality. Yeah, I wouldn't I don't condone that part of it. But it is, um, it is very convenient, I, I will say. 
And uh, yeah, I've, I've been having really good fun with this, actually. I've been taking it, you know, out to like restaurants and stuff. And when you're waiting for your food, you can kind of pass this around your circle of friends and see if you can beat like an Advance Wars 2 level or whatever. Oh, and I love Advance Wars. My it's goodness. Just, it's just really nice. And it actually comes with some like PC games as well. Like there's some open source implementations of Diablo, for example, which is like super, super weird that like to get Diablo running on like this kind of form factor and on these controls, but it kind of works. And I was just absolutely amazed that it was as good as it is. I think what's I think what's amazing me is that uh, they've actually gone for the legal open source Diablo, but when it comes to the Game Boy games, yeah, just, just, just put all the <laughs> I don't know, maybe it isn't open source. Maybe it's like a completely hacked out, you know, very, very stolen version. But there's also like, there's like other like Linux games. Like I think there's like Tux Racer and stuff like that. And uh, it's just been amazing. Like I, every day, every time I've turned it on, I've discovered some other random new game that I never knew existed. So it's been really, really fun. Do you know the internal stuff? Is it a Raspberry Pi or what is it? Oh, I have no idea. It's like some sort of MediaTek, um, uh, you know, CPU or chipset. And yeah, I guess it must be running some sort of, I need to take it apart actually and really find out what's going on inside. But yeah, like super low powered, doesn't run, you know, 3D games really. I think it does support the PlayStation 1, but not very well. But I've just been playing like, you know, old 2D games and it's been really, really awesome. Uh, what about you, Alex? Uh, you've uh, you've been sort of augmenting your retro PC recently, right? <laughs> um uh uh for me uh nothing too much recently uh the the one thing that i, I was trying to well i lost some baggage i had those those for example on twitter in the middle of the winter christmas break i commentated how i found a bunch of old games well they're lost in baggage now so whoever wants to have all those games maybe you'll get them i won't get them but you may if you want to ever auction off a baggage uh but i recently did um this is relevant to you will i just grabbed myself uh retail copies of homeworld and its expansion pack in big box form behind me you can see well they're a bit out of focus but they're there now uh because i because i've not had that in ever and i wanted to just load that up on my uh, retro pc and start playing through it again because i love homeworld i think a lot of people do and i think homeworld 3 is in development Am I mistaken? Yes, it is. So that's something I'm going to cover on the channel when the time comes, and I got to get ready. Yeah, of course. Well, I haven't bought any new technology recently, so I will not be contributing to this discussion. Uh, but what I will be saying is that uh, I met up online with people I used to work with in the 90s, and we are restaging the Quake battles of yesteryear. So like quarter of a century ago, we were playing Quake for the first time uh, in the office at lunchtime. And uh, we have shifted now to Quake Remastered uh, because, you know, a lot of the guys aren't in gaming anymore, but, you know, they've got switches and whatnot. You can actually play Quake Remastered with keyboard and mouse on a switch, which is pretty awesome. And, you know, at 60 frames per second, 1080p 60. Why not? And, um, you know, there's been a lot of discussion recently about um, multiplayer and progression. I mean, there was a that big thing with Halo. People were unhappy with Halo because of the progression and whatnot. Uh, the gameplay apparently very good. But I've, I urge you, Quake Remastered, I think it's on Game Pass. I think it's essentially, you know, very, very cheap on all systems. If you've got a group of, you know, maybe five or six friends, just get that game. It's the best multiplayer experience I've had 
in years. Now, I don't know how much of that is nostalgia because, you know, it was awesome fun back in the day, but um, there's just a purity to it. And, um, you know, it's just awesome. And there's there's no complications to it. It's just plug and play, away you go. And it holds up, right? Uh, Night Dive Studios did the port on Quake Remastered, so it's beautifully handled. Code is simply superb. I'm playing at 4K 120, but, you know, I'm playing up against 1080p 60 Switch users, Xbox users, it's cross-play. Um, play it, enjoy it, love it. Do you awesome. happen to know, Rich, if... Um mod support for old quake mods works because i i haven't actually had as much time to play quake remastered as i was like but i am not sure um but i would suggest that if you're in the modding scene there's probably alternative renditions of quake available that uh, are probably more fitting for that kind of thing but yeah quake remastered just generally is excellent the multiplayer uh, is as good as ever and the single player stuff that they put in there is awesome as well so yes i mean it is so cheap you've got to you've got to have it and you've got to play it multiplayer if you're sort of getting jaded by call of duty uh, battlefield and whatnot go go back to the source and you yeah. shall rediscover <laughs> your love of multiplayer gaming it's just absolutely yeah. superb or you can be like will and write a passive aggressive tweet about how you're not going to buy call of duty vanguard <laughs> yeah, that, that could be fun too do both do both <laughs> oh dear oh dear yes that was that was fun good tweet there will thanks yeah yeah one of my best i think <laughs> um let's move on we've spent a good deal of time i mean essentially since you just came back from holiday right uh god of war pc you've been on that all day and not all night we're not slave drivers here but <laughs> You have been, uh, you have just delivered the definitive analysis, I would say. Um, is there anything you want to add to that? Because um, there's going to be an interview going up on Eurogamer and um, we couldn't use the, the the footage for a video, but there's actually quite a lot of interesting stuff in there, right, Alex? Yeah, I think uh, two main takeaways that I have from it is that just because a studio has to produce games uh, in the modern sense, they're using Windows and things like that, uh, but they're, they're making games exclusively for PlayStation. That doesn't necessarily mean, even though you would like to think it, that they have a PC version kind of already in the background. That's what I came into this actually thinking. I thought that there was always at least a production renderer uh, for God of War to run on PC just so they could check how things were, but that doesn't seem to actually have been the case here, at least in any way that was reasonable. Uh, so they actually had to build quite a lot uh, from the ground up that they uh, will come across in the interview, I think, as well. And another thing that I was really interested in is that this port took two years uh, in total to make and primarily the a lot of the primary development of coding and things like that was actually a core team of four at Jetpack Interactive and that is really really impressive work honestly uh, it reminds me a bit of night dive stuff in that aspect where core small team of people really passionate who really know their thing and they work to get a great version out. And that shows, I think I showed that off pretty well in the video. We are looking at a really great version of the game. There are, of course, like any game comes out, there are things that I'll point out that I think could be improved. Uh, the, the Radeon performance was one thing that I would really like to see improved, as well as if they could, this like interconnected level loading areas in the game that can uh, kind of stutter 
it depends on what your settings are and a number of other things if it will actually stutter. But that's something I would really love to see improve. But other than that, I think, ah, I really hope uh, this lights the fire underneath uh, Microsoft a little bit because this and Horizon Zero Dawn uh, also having DLSS added and a lot of improvements over time. I was not so happy with Halo Infinite and to a certain degree there were I had a couple issues with Forza Horizon 5 uh, that I wasn't too happy with and this coming out of the gate so great. Um, well, I hope Microsoft does that for their next couple of games too. I mean um, Sony came out of the gate with Horizon Zero Dawn which was problematic. Uh, Days Gone was actually really good and um, you know there was the the sense maybe that Basing it on an Unreal Engine 4 foundation maybe gave it a bit of a leg up. Um, but yeah, we spoke, or rather you spoke, <laughs> I had nothing to do with it, um, was, uh, yeah, speaking to the developers there, you know, they were talking about how they started off with, oh yeah, we could uh, we could render cubes with our engine. <laughs> so, so amazing. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I did send uh, a DM to Alex with a picture of two cubes and... Uh, <laughs> The nuance of the very... father-son relationship. Yeah, the programmer <laughs> art there was intense. Was um, but yeah, then um, there seemed to be a lot of talk in the interview about the particle system, which seemed to occupy a lot of uh, the developers' time in porting it across because it did seem to lean into um, the low-level side of the, of the of the PlayStation API and the um, unified memory setup. So that, that was kind of interesting as well. Um, but I think the big takeaway for me is that it wasn't a full-scale production. It was just kind of like a smaller team working over an extended period of time, um, as opposed to saying, right, we're going to get our port of God of War out. But um, yeah, there was also some discussion about how they had to refactor cutscenes to support um, ultra-wide and 16 by 10 as well. Yeah, that was a nice improvement because 16 by 10 is pretty uncommon these days. Does it have its does it find its way into laptops? I'm not and I'm not exactly sure, but Yeah, it's starting to pop up in laptops a lot more often. Yeah, actually. so that is nice. And I mean the extra vertical space. I actually prefer 16 by 10 if I had the choice, but I don't like the black bars in games that just only offer 16 by 9. Yeah, that was interesting because obviously um the actual uh, mechanics of cutscenes are very different to to what you see on the screen. So you know, lots of teleporting characters and and whatnot. And they had to change all of that because um, there were situations where you could the expanded field of view kind of broke the illusion. There were teleporting characters being visible at that point. But yeah, it's just really nice to see that they ticked off the um, the fundamentals. First of all, ultra wide support unlocked frame rates. I think you mentioned it was up to 160 frames per second. Yeah, but that's still reasonable. I yeah, find absolutely. that in a reasonable territory. Yeah. And yeah. Um, uh, yeah, and then they added support for DLSS, FSR, the temporal super, uh, temporal um, upscaler as well. I ran out of time to cover that. I was really hoping I would, but I just ran out. And that's the one thing I really want to see from Microsoft because now with Horizon, uh, the Stranding, and this game, we have three Sony original games that were PlayStation exclusives with DLSS on PC. Microsoft has Minecraft, which came out a while ago, and that's a very RTX-style game anyway. And then Doom Eternal, which had its RTX sponsorship before they were even acquired by Microsoft. So, 
yeah, I hope that we get to see more DLSS and Microsoft first party titles. I mean, that is the distinction at the moment, right? It's um, we're not really seeing uh, uh, distinctive PC technologies that are, you know, very definitely set apart from the console space actually being implemented there. Maybe that will change with XESS. Uh, who knows? But certainly at the moment, you know, um, I think the omission of um, smart upscaling technologies within the Microsoft titles is a bit problematic. And it kind of sends the message that they're not um, looking to push PC to the max. You know, that's that's kind of what we want from these console ports. Is there, I mean, do you have any, I mean, you're a PC gamer, right? You're not really a console player as such. You do have the consoles, though. Um, the question yeah, is, you have the consoles. I mean, does a release like God of War actually excite you? Or is it just something, a different type of game that you're not particularly invested in? No, I think I'm. it's definitely one that I want to check out. But it's just a case of slotting it into my existing addictions, which are currently Football Manager and Forza 5. So so you're that person who buys Football Manager every year. I, I knew I would meet one of you <laughs> one day. There's millions of them, Alex. I hate to <laughs> Good stuff. No, this year I got it for free on Game Pass. So. Oh, gosh. Wow. It's on Game Pass. I had no idea. Games Pass. Is, uh, Games Alex Pass. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> of course. Okay, well, that's enough for content discussion at the moment. Let's move on to our supporter Q&A. This is the part of the show where, well, essentially on our Patreon every week, we put out a call for questions and our backers supply a range of uh, absolutely amazing topics for us to discuss and usually backed by hilarious hacker aliases for us to chuckle over and it you know this one pretty good gluten-free potato glutton <laughs> <laughs> it's good uh, Amazing. Uh, uh, asks this particular question recent reports suggest series s sales may be outpacing series x what does this mean for the future development environment of the series x question mark so far, the Series S has proven itself capable enough in the graphics department, as illustrated by the re recent Matrix Awakens demo. But how far can its 10 gigs of memory capacity stretch when developers eventually go all in with current gen models, physics, AI, sound, etc.? Will either series console take a backseat to the other in terms of developers choosing a target skew to design around? Is this sales trend short term, or do you think Microsoft anticipated Series S would be the more popular of the two Xbox consoles? I'm going to go to you first, Alex. Oh, wow. This is a long one. Um, I did think Microsoft probably presumed Series S would be more popular. Hence, you know, like the lower end model tends to usually sell quite a bit more. Um, that's normal and fine. We saw that with PS4 as well, too. There's more PS4s than PS4 Pros for sure. Um, but this aspect, so we've seen with the Matrix Awakens demo, we've also seen, um, I would say, Metro Exodus's Enhanced Edition shows that you can really get that all on there if you want. But the, the thing is that there's, there's big sacrifices. Um, and I think that's the way developers are going to end up doing this, that they're going to initially concept the game for the Series X and PlayStation 5, and then they're going to be probably spitting and fighting and hating the Series S, trying to squeeze it into there at times. Uh, but they'll do it. They'll do it. We've seen them already do it before, but I've also heard 
definitely developer commentary that uh, sometimes getting it to you know fit within the memory of the Series S is sure a struggle. Um, I've definitely heard that. Uh, so I think that's the way it's going to be. I don't think it's going to shift the developed wins so that we see Series X versions being uh, you know shot in the knee uh, because Series S exists. I don't think that's something we need to worry about so much so far. It, but we can come back to this question in a year and a half or two from now. I think the premise of the question is problematic because it completely ignores the presence of the PlayStation 5, which which is selling a huge amount of units and is very, very similar in its performance level to Xbox Series X. So, you know, if we add on Series X to PlayStation 5, then it becomes critical mass, right? That's going to be your target platform. And as you say, then you cut down for Series S, whether it's resolution or whatnot. And yeah, you're right, Alex. You've, we've seen um, Matrix Awakens. We've seen a lot of, you know, um, really cutting edge titles appear on um, Series S. But at the same time, there have been some titles where, you know, maybe we haven't seen 60 frames per second or maybe we haven't seen raid facing. And I think actually in, in on balance, that's kind of OK, because I don't think the people that are attracted to Series S are the kind of people who are really that concerned about cutting edge rendering features or ultra high resolutions. Um, so it's you know it's it's a bit of a shame that we don't have all, you know complete feature parity at a lower resolution, and I am still concerned that there is going to be um, segmentation in the market later on in the lifespan of of this particular generation when it becomes clear that PlayStation Five and Series X are you know easily the majority. Um, I don't know any additional thoughts on that, Will. I think the one thing I'd add is that. You know, a lot of this may be because the Series X still isn't freely available, and the Series S nowadays generally is. So we may see the balance shift slightly once Series X is being produced in sufficient numbers uh, to the point where you can just go to a store and pick it up without any worries about it. Which is something that is a lot more doable with Series S. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's an interesting point. But yeah, I'm... I'm... I'm kind of curious to see how Series S is going to play out over the longer term. But I do think, you know, as long as it's, um, uh, you know, as long as it's possible to to reduce resolution and claw back a lot of your performance that way, then I think the issue is simply the, the memory setup. And it seems to be quite a bandwidth constrained device. I mean, this is nothing new. We've been talking about this for quite some time. And it's quite interesting that in the initial leaks that we saw, Series S wasn't a 10 gig machine. It was a 12 gig machine with a wider memory interface. And that kind of would have made a lot more sense. And um, I still think over the longer term, it's going to be the memory that's, that's, that's more problematic. But I certainly don't see Series S being the focus of um, development now or in the future. I think it's going to be the secondary target. Because, you know, in view of the overall market, certainly when you include PC as well, you know, PCs are going to continue to evolve. Um, the, the feature set will be towards the higher end, I would say. So do you think this means that there would be a case to be made for making a Series S with 12 gigs of memory at some point to kind of ease that burden if it started to become more of a problem for developers? I think then the problem becomes segmentation, right? Again. Yeah. Yeah. Even more segmented market. You know, they, they had that actually on Xbox One with the One and the One S being slightly different, but it was the case where you could basically 
ignore one or the other and just develop for a you know a base Xbox One. But you wouldn't really be able to do that if you start messing about with memory interfaces and uh, RAM allocations. Yeah, so I think we've we you know for better or worse, Series S is what it is. Um, but I, as I said, I don't see it being the the target skew to design around. Interesting question though, because I think um, Microsoft's strategy, the whole uh, segmentation that they have with the S and X devices on day one, um, it certainly seems to be paying off for them in terms of getting consoles out there and getting them purchased. And um, yeah, but it is down to the developers to deal with what is a more challenging device to develop for compared to the others. Let's move on to the next question. This one from Jonathan Thomason. Hypothetically, if VR was to become VRR rather, not VR, <laughs> two very different things, variable refresh rate displays were to become the norm and every modern display had support for it, what sort of frame rates do you think developers should target? When frame rates no longer have to be an integer divisor of 60 or 120, Aren't all bets sort of off? Developers could target frame rates as low as the mid-20s for cutscenes, could they? Um, but target 120 FPS plus for intense action scenes. Do you see a very variable uh, frame rate potentially being targeted in the future on consoles and slash or PC? Will? I'm going to say that it might be a little bit noticeable and a little bit distracting if you're going from like 20 FPS in cutscenes to 120 FPS in action scenes. Yes, that, like, that is my only major issue with that question. I mean, otherwise, I think, you know, VRR is generally a good thing. You know, I like to keep it enabled if I can, unless I'm playing something hyper competitive where it adds a tiny bit of input delay. So... Yeah, I think, you know, developers might be more inclined to, you know, have, you know, slightly less strict requirements for their kind of frame rates. But I think ideally, you know, you do more kind of work juggling everything else to kind of fit the frame rate, even if VRR exists, because I think that's a better experience overall. Um, Alex, I'm curious about your thoughts on this one. Well, the idea is interesting because... I mean, in older games, there were, I mean, we still see the 30 FPS cutscene, 60 FPS gameplay divide. Uh, you know, we still see that. Um, but the idea that you could maybe develop a scene around like hitting 50 FPS instead of 60, even though most other scenes are like running at 60, is kind of enticing because you wouldn't really notice the difference visually in terms of, you know, like 50 and 60 actually look pretty similar to each other on a VR display. Um, but you could have like a cut, like an area in the game that is more, much more enriched graphically. Maybe it has like RT reflections on and the other area doesn't or something like that. That is interesting, but, uh, it's so distant in the future to me that I cannot really predict, uh, cause VRR is still not super penetrated into the, um, I would say the amount of televisions out there, but it's only a matter of time. Uh, I don't know. This is, a, this is a hard question because I actually do prefer if a developer always tries to make the non-VRR experience really great first, and then VRR is just, just in case. My answer to this question, well, first of all, I, I really wouldn't want to see cutscenes at a different frame rate to... Um... Uh, to gameplay, uh, if you've got a, I mean, twenty to one twenty is kind of nuts. <laughs> uh, but even like sixty to one twenty, if you put them side by side, it kind of looks a, a bit weird. 
Um, I do like the idea, um, but more on the PC side, that you essentially define what your target performance is based on your equipment, right? How capable your GPU is and whether you've got a VR display or not. So um, I'm actually really happy with a capped 90 FPS because you're getting a huge win over 60 in terms of frame times, you know, and um, you're, you can still, you know, typically target that quite easily on a, on a range of hardware and um, it looks really, really good. There's a reason why those initial VR displays targeted 90 hertz, right? Because um, it was a clear win over 60 and it was achievable. What I tend to find on the PC side of things um, in AAA content, not so much eSports, is that it's actually quite challenging to sustain 120 frames per second. But it's a lot easier to do it at 90. And um, once you're sort of at a consistent 90, it just looks really, really good. Uh, in the console space, though, I agree with you, Alex, which is to say that um, there's so many 60 hertz displays out there. And uh, the concept that um, we're going to be shifting to a VRR and therefore can you know change frame rate targets, I think that's going to be quite a challenge. And I think it also, you know, I think even on the LGs, you actually have to physically enable VRR on the display. Um, I'm not sure how many people are going to be doing that. So yes, it's um, we're still in a, a sort of no man's land at the moment. And I do think, as you say again, Alex, that um, uh, there's got to be a, a particular budget for uh, for a game and 30 or preferably 60 is the, is the way forward. But you are right. I mean, I think you mentioned it in your God of War content on the GTX 1060, which is to say that it seems to run at 50 to 60 FPS. So either if you're on VRR or you just, uh, if you're not on VRR, set up a custom resolution with a 50 Hertz limit. Yeah. Um, actually, maybe that's really good. Maybe, you know, use, I think you did that back in, uh, what was it, 4K on a budget series. Maybe we should just, uh, maybe we should refresh the audience's memory on that in a video at one point, because that is very useful. It's very useful, uh, just so people know. 50 Hertz is great. I mean, it's basically 20 millisecond per frame versus 16.7. So your your per frame budget increases by what uh, 3.3 milliseconds. Yeah, yeah, so, it's not too it's not too big, but yeah, it's much is, more attainable. Which is, yeah. Doesn't impact the on screen experience, but certainly eases up resources on your GPU significantly. But yeah, that's kind of we called it the poor man's G sync at the time. <laughs> yeah, that was great. <laughs> a locked 50 hertz. Uh, let's move on to the next question. This one from Mitch Gillies. Hi, DF. Do you expect the continuing chip shortages to result in cross-gen releases persisting for the majority of major releases through to the end of 2022? Um, there was suddenly a, a scream of no in my head there, but let us continue with the question. Does this mean that we're not likely to see through Generational advancements a la The Matrix Awakens until sometime in 2023, Alex. Oh, Mo, I, I don't want to answer this one because I think cross-gen, as <laughs> Rich said earlier, it, uh, <laughs> Rich said earlier, cross-gen is probably a little bit going to be here longer than we would like anyway due to this exact reason. Rich said it earlier in the, in the video, and I agree with him there. Uh, but I also think we're not going to be seeing those games anyway, uh, those Matrix Awakens style games, because the tech has yet to mature. The developers are still making these games. Uh, you know, 
I know people are working on UE5 games and they watch the Matrix Awakens demo and they think, how can we get something similar in our experience? Um, so yeah, those, those games are going to be taking a while anyway. That's all I have to add. I think that there's going to be, I, this is kind of self-balancing in a way. Like if it's very difficult to do something like the Matrix Awakens you know, now, then people that are able to do it will be able to reap greater rewards. So they might be able to, you know, for the people that really, really want to push it, there might be more incentive for them to do so. And for people that aren't really that bothered, then, you know, they can kind of move their expectations back, right? So I think we will see some games, maybe, that are have some elements of this, at least, relatively soon, maybe this year, maybe, possibly. Yeah, there's Stalker 2, yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely not going to be the case that we're just going to start seeing you know now that the demo is out instantly you know games will be released you know generally the 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 cycle is on the order of years rather than months so you know we have to be patient i do expect cross gen to continue sorry uh, i just hope to see that there's more time uh in the development process put into the um next gen consoles or the current gen versions so there is actually uh probably more scalability. I mean, we have seen that in like Forza Horizon 5, but I think they can push further. Um, and I'm guessing possibly just as uh, instrumental to the whole cross-gen argument is the fact that there's still a big bunch of PCs out there with GTX 1060 and RX 580. And, you know, I've been saying to you, Alex, you know, maybe we should do a video about, you know, sunsetting the 1060 and the 580 but it's probably in bad taste if the audience can't buy a replacement right yeah i like like last year when i did retire them i kind of just did it in the background i like shot them in the corner and no one noticed and all of a sudden one video i was using gtx 1060s and the next one i was using rtx 2060 supers and shh, there was no one said too much about it back then um, but yeah, maybe we should do that at some point in time. I did get a lot of positive response that I did include it in the God of War video, but let me just say it definitely added a lot to the, uh, to the work because I had to, you know, I, as a result, I didn't end up, uh, covering, I just ran out of time, uh, covering the RTX 3080 RX 6800 XT comp that I always like the high end and the middle end. Uh, but that got cut out here. Um, I think the issue the issue with the GTX 1060 was that the uh, God of War specs said it was good for 1080p 30. Yeah, that was a li little bit aggressive of them to put that out. But maybe they're covering their bases, you know? They don't want to overpromise for sure. There's probably an argument here about um, standardizing recommended specs. Uh, so, so they're actually meaningful because, um, you know, half the time they don't tell you the settings, half the time they don't tell you the resolution. Um, half the time they don't tell you what the performance target actually is uh, that you can expect from that hardware. So, you know, <laughs> in what way is actually useful? Uh, and again, with um, God of War, they kind of undershot there. But uh, there we are. OK, well, let's move on to the next question. Uh, this one's from Daniel Horton. You have talked about how you have let developers know about problems in their games uh, that they never even tested for, such as bad frame pacing. Um, have you ever had discussions about color grading in games with developers? Some games are so washed out, it seems like a huge oversight that the developers are not paying attention to. 
Alex? Well, not the washed out one necessarily, um, but when Crisis Remastered was being done, I definitely had a conversation with them about the, the color grading and that. We did get into a discussion about it. Uh, I ended up not being able to change the game's color grading, of course, because uh, it came out with that color grading that it has. Um, but the washed out one, I've, I've talked with developers before about the uh, with the PlayStation darkening thing that we covered a way while back. Uh, we were seeing, I think it was games on PlayStation 5 put initially into an HDR container and then SDR downsampled or, you know, uh, how do you say it? Tone mapped into, what was it? Or was it the other way? I forget what it was. Either way, um, the titles were a little bit darker on PlayStation 5 and we were noticing this and we did send off uh, some commentary about it and for the most part, I think it's been fixed. Um, but that's about it regarding color grading. I think the issue is that you're talking about, um, I mean, there can be issues where something is broken, right? Like the Halo cinematic, the Halo Infinite cinematic, it just was washed out. Um, that's one thing. Uh, but I think when you're talking about uh, color grading otherwise, it's, well, it's kind of like the developer vision almost. If it's not broken, and that's kind of what they want. So, I mean, has there been any titles with particularly egregious color issues that you think we should have flagged, Will? It's been pretty good, to be honest. I kind of lived through that phase where all games were just kind of dark brown, and it was just, or kind of yellowish, and uh, it just wasn't a pleasant time to be a PC gamer. But uh, I think things have kind of improved since then, so... It's not something I've come across and thought, oh, this is definitely something that the developers have done wrong. I think sometimes I think, oh, I'm playing this on the wrong screen. Um, so maybe that's more of it. Maybe if you're playing on like a really nice TV or something, you need to go back to like your crappy monitor in in your other room or whatever. And then you'll see, oh, actually, you know, it's fine. Doesn't doesn't look bad. Doesn't look any worse than the other games on this. Well, you know, it's the case where, you know, everybody is now looking back to the kind of PlayStation 360 era where it was very brown and orange. And uh, in the movie space, there was the whole teal and orange phase made famous by Michael Bay movies. Um, but the, again, this is creative uh, vision, right? That's kind of what they think is cool at the time. There's not really much we can do about that. I mean, we can, we can certainly say in our reviews that this is uh, something we're not particularly... Uh, enthused by but it's not something where we'd go to the developer and say hey your creative vision is kind of sucks here well <laughs> if, if, yeah. it's a, if it's a bug then fair enough but uh yeah <laughs> fair enough okay next question um this one from simplex uh, how plausible is half-life alex on psvr2 according <laughs> according to your crystal balls of steel I'm not quite sure <laughs> how to take balls that. of steel. Any inside knowledge, rumor confirmation. We have no inside knowledge about Half-Life Alex 2 on PlayStation VR 2. Uh, I think we floated it in the DF Direct. We did on the PS VR 2 specs because it's kind of like no-brainer, right, Alex? Yeah, it's uh, the, the title that would make that system explode in popularity for sure. Uh, but I know absolutely nothing, so I got nothing. Yeah, we're... we're Pleading the fifth, the sixth, the seventh, whatever. We have no knowledge <laughs> whatsoever. Uh, let's quickly move on to the next one. And wow, this is another one for you, Alex. This is Jake. Hi, yeah, Jake. Yeah, shaky Jake. Um, 
He says, Shader compilation with PC games has been a discussion point of late. Why do more PC games not just do the shader compilation in advance? Horizon Zero Dawn did this and got criticized for it, but surely this is massively preferable to in-game stutter. Seems to me that getting all the compilation out of the way at the start is the way to go. Uh, potentially it is. I think another issue with these um, uh, shader compilation passes is that typically is that if you change the settings, it, you need to do that again. Um, Alex, thoughts? Yeah, so I think the reason why I criticized uh, Horizon Zero Dawn on release for that uh, is it was it did take quite a bit of time, uh, which is, you know, we can debate whether or not uh, that's good. I think, Jake, I, I do vastly prefer waiting instead of stuttering. Uh, so Jake's got that right there. But also back then, it had the high potential to crash. And every single time you did the shader compilation thing and you didn't complete it, you had to rewatch the intro cinematic, which was really long. Oh, uh, no. So that was, that was horrifying. <laughs> I disliked that back in the day. I completely agree with you. I think if developers are not... Um, if they can't come up with a smarter way to do it, and there are smarter ways to do it, I'm going to cover this in a video when I do have the time and all the research done for it. It's going to be a bigger and longer one and more in depth. Um, then I do prefer this way, even though it does mean the issues that Rich just talked about, the every single time recompiling when you change the settings, which which can actually get in the way of wanting you, making you, you know, want to actually change the settings. So I always find that a big problem. But yeah, I agree with you, Jake. So that's what I would prefer than stuttering. Have you ever come across this issue, Will? I mean, obviously, Final Fantasy is the latest one, and it seems to be a UE4 problem in general. But uh, in your particular gaming lineup, has it ever manifested? I think the, the game I always noticed was uh, Warzone. When I was trying to play that with friends, it would just be the case that every time I started the game, because I hadn't done so for a few weeks or so, there would have been a game update, which would have required shader recompilation, or there would have been a driver update. And when you have both of those coming out relatively fast, then you know almost every time you want to play, you have that you know bit of friction that prevents you from getting in immediately. So... Obviously, nobody likes stutters. Everyone would rather spend a little bit of time. But I think developers could be more thoughtful, perhaps, about where they put that compilation step. Because in Warzone, you can actually go in and like tweak your loadouts, and there's like things to do while the shaders are compiling. But in a lot of games, you know, you're just stuck looking at a screen, or you're forced to watch an, an intro cinematic, and then you're looking at a screen. So I think putting it a little bit later on so that you could be doing something meaningful in the game, like reading a journal entry or something, um, would be would be better, would be preferable than, than having it right at the start and then, you know, kind of blocking people from accessing the game in that sense. Yeah, just to stress, it's not an issue on console because, you know, it's a fixed platform. They can just pre-compile all the shaders. Um, but Alex, going back to Horizon Zero Dawn, um, the ninjas at Nixis produced the latest patch for the PC port for Horizon. Uh, they came up with an innovative approach to shader compilation, which removed that initial step. I've not actually experienced it myself, but does it help? Yeah. I mean, it's uh, you don't have that massive shader compilation. What you do see is higher CPU utilization while you're playing the game, uh, for sure. So I guess it, it could get in the designs of some people wanting to play at ultra-high frame rates at moments with mid-range CPUs. Um, but 
you know, once the compilation, once it does compile them, it's still actually saving them to disk, so you don't have to do it again when you play the game, at least until a driver update, uh, which will then cause it to happen again. Uh, I prefer that. I actually find the way they did it very awesome, and it's kind of the way, as far as I understand, that id tech games do it, since uh, uh, Doom 2016's Vulcan. So uh, I think we're going to be seeing that more in the future. I think it's going to be increasing in popularity over time, uh, but it does require some very stringent things to be changed in the engine, as far as I know. So. Okay, well, I'm going to look forward to your uh, upcoming video on that, and specifically how the the what the potential solutions are, because it's it's a tricky one, right? Yeah, I'm also I don't want to be pointing blame at developers in it too, uh, which is something I want to try and avoid. Uh, so I want to get as many voices as I can uh, first before I start actually picking it apart for myself. Uh, next question from Lou Colliver. Hi, DF crew. I recently found myself without access to my desktop PC and was surprised by how well the integrated graphics work in my work laptop, uh, Iris XC on 11th Gen i5. Um, he's saying it performed well in 3D accelerated games with optimized settings. Would the DF crew consider exploring the topic of integrated graphics for gaming in a future episode? I think an integrated graphics roundup on a selection of modern titles could help open up PC gaming to more people, particularly in context of the current chip shortage. Um, so I guess from my perspective, it's going to be Steam Deck is like the poster child for integrated graphics. So yes, we will be looking at integrated graphics um, from that uh, perspective. Is there anything more we could do on that, Will? More oh, more I IGPUs, mean, I guess. I mean, XE is pretty good. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, XE is, is, is really strong. I think we did a review of the 5700G from AMD recently, which was also, you know, like in the same ballpark as a, a GTX kind of 10 series card on the lower end. So that's pretty impressive stuff. And, you know, I think there's been a lot of kind of rumors and speculation that upcoming, um, you know, CPUs from, from both parties will be pretty strong on the integrated graphics front potentially. So, yeah. It's definitely something that we're always kind of looking at and yeah it's 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 a really cool thing to champion i think the fact that you don't need to necessarily buy a gaming uh pc to to play pc games there's a lot that just works on on even worked laptops it, it turns out does it actually excite you at all the concept of an igpu analysis alex yes and, and the same curi morbid curiosity that i get <laughs> more, about morbid the Steam Deck. curiosity <laughs> well i mean it's wow. it a little bit painful like when you've seen the game being so beautiful and then you have to reduce it to potato mode uh it does get a little bit sad at times but i no i i actually do like the idea of doing a video like that i don't have very many integrated gpus on hand though uh to my knowledge i think we do have to get you a steam deck so, um, because uh, I really want to see what, how you uh, you manage that. And um, just on a sort of general sort of tangent, uh, Lou mentions their um, optimized settings. And a bit of content that I've been really itching to do is to actually go back to one of our big GPU face-offs, maybe, I don't know, 3080 versus 6800 XT, but actually do the benchmarks at optimized settings to actually see see you know compare to the ultra versus ultra to see what what the difference actually is and also of course to compare to um you know let's say you've got um a 3070 how does optimized settings on a 3070 compare to ultra on a 3080 so yeah if that's something that's kind of 
Again, morbid, morbid curiosity. <laughs> yeah. uh, but yes, interesting stuff there. Um, final question, Paul Kalamata. What title coming out in 2022 are you looking forward to most from a tech perspective, Will? Um, I think it's got to be Homeworld, right? Like we still don't know a lot about kind of what they're planning. And I've intentionally not looked too much for that kind of information. But it seems like they're kind of focusing a little bit more maybe on like super massive structures kind of in the field of battle and stuff like that. And I think that could be really cool from a, from a tech perspective to see how that works. Because obviously, you know, Homeworld back in the day, the reason that they could do it, you know, make a 3D game um, with that kind of scale was the fact that all you really have to render is the actual ships themselves. And basically everything else is just kind of background, you know, here is a star field. So it'd be really cool to see, you know, with modern technology, modern GPUs and CPUs, how they can kind of push the boundaries there and, and take advantage of that extra horsepower. There's a couple here. I think I'm really interested in Horizon uh, Forbidden West to see what they're doing there because it's a little bit of an unknown on PlayStation 5 in some aspects that I'm really curious about. Um, I am also really interested in Dying Light 2 uh, because they're doing the RTX suite, as I know, like GI, AO, Reflections, Shadows, even more. Uh, that they haven't talked about. So, you know, like, that's really cool. I want to see what that's like and how it runs. Probably very poorly, but I like that. And then there's um, uh, just delayed, and I, if it doesn't get delayed again, I guess Stalker 2, which would be one of the larger first UE5 games we're going to see. And I presume it's going to be using not the early access version of UE5 that we've seen, that we've been playing around with mostly, but the things, you know, like the latest builds that the Matrix Awaken used with like hardware ray tracing and da 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 da. And it also just looks really good. Uh, like when in that video, I hope it looks like that video. They haven't really shown off unedited gameplay yet. So that's those are the titles I'm interested in. Uh, yeah, Dying Light 2, I think, is one I'm really sort of very interested in looking out uh, for. Uh, similarly, the new uh, um, update for Cyberpunk 2077. Oh, gosh, yes. See oh, yeah, what they're doing How can I that. forget? And uh, whether that's just going to be consoles. Surely they've got to be doing more on PC there. You know, those, fundamentally, those are PC guys. Really interested to see what they're doing there. And also whether there's a knock-on effect for the Witcher 3 upgrade there. I'm really interested to see that. Um, the first-party stuff, as always. I mean, um, uh, you know, they're just masters at Guerrilla Games. Just really want to see what they're doing there. I'm not sure is Hellblade two this year. Um, I'm not sure whether not sure whether the date has been announced there, but I was really impressed with the first one, and um, it's been fantastic to see Microsoft recognise the potential in that studio and essentially to back them. And everything we've seen on Hellblade two uh, thus far looks fantastic. Uh, whether it is 2022 or not, I could Google, but I can't right now. <laughs> um, but yeah that's uh there's there's just so there's a wealth of great games coming out and there's so much happening between um february and april in particular that we're certainly going to be busy and uh yeah i i can't name just one i'm sorry um fine. that's it i forgive you <laughs> that's uh all of our questions that's our df direct for this week um uh, thanks so much for joining me on this one guys and um as usual like, subscribe, share. Uh, if you enjoyed the content, notification bell, instant, apparently, notifications. 
a DF, DF supporter program. Join us. I mean, we're on Discord. Talk to us. Raise interesting points. Always fascinating discussions going on there. Community is incredible. Early access to a ton of stuff. Great DF retro uh, material. It's all awesome. So join us there. But that's all from us for now. Thanks for watching.